0: Are we all sitting comfortably. Yeah? Too hot? Cold? Okay, well, today brings an end to our series on the churches in Revelation, the Calibrate series. So today, the church is the letter to the church of Laodicea. Why do I have the church with the hardest word to say? So I've been saying Laodicea quite a lot. <laughs> so each church um, is in what was Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And each church has had various characteristics, and we've been going through them one by one to see how they act as like a lens to examine not only our church, but our own spiritual journey and relationship to God. We've looked at seven churches, got a little bit of recap. recap. The church of Ephesus, the church admired for its tribulation and poverty, but forecast... Oh, that's the wrong one, that's Smyrna. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Ephesus, um, known for having laboured hard, not fainted, but was admonished for having forsaken its first love. Then we heard last week, the church in Smyrna which had gone through poverty and persecution and was forecast for a bit more. Then there's the church of... Oh, I say Laodicea is the hardest one. Pergamon? Yeah? Oh, that's what we're going to go for. (laughs) (laughs) That needed to repent for allowing false teachers. Then there was... Oh, no. I should have practiced all of these, shouldn't I? Thyatira? Yeah? No. Thyatira. Thyatira, Nowhere near. Okay. I I was obviously in youth for that one. Okay, cool. Known for its charity. Then Sardis, I can say that. Um, Had a good name, but was cautioned to fortify itself. And then Philadelphia, which was not in America, but um, with this steadfast love. And today we conclude with Church of Laodicea. Now, through the, um, all these churches, it seemed to be a bit of a pattern. that They get praise for something, and then they get a little bit of teaching, shall we say. But the Church of Laodicea didn't get the niceties. It came, goes straight into the rebuke. So we read in Revelation 3. To the church of Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold. I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I shall give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to these churches. Nice easy one there to digest. So like all the, um, all the letters to the churches, we need to get under the skin of the history and the geography of the city, to really understand the imagery of the letter and why the words of the letter were particularly important. So there is Laodicea. It's kind of in the triangle between Colossae and the, that one beginning with H. My, my Greek is not very good. Um, it was now Laodicea was built on a plateau, which is a flat-top hill, lovely, Um, which is between two rivers. It's eight miles from Colossae and 11 miles from the spa town of Hierapolis, maybe. Now, the town grew in stature and its wealth, being on the main trading route between the ports and the countries to the east. Laodicea became a centre for commerce and trading, like the city of London or Wall Street in the States. The city was protected by its high location, so enemies can attack it because of the natural geography. And because of that, it grew very wealthy, its citizens developing a taste for the high life and Greek culture. When an earthquake came, because earthquakes come quite a lot in this part of the world, still do. Um, there was a big one, about 60 AD, that I think Mal spoke about a few weeks ago. Now, the Roman emperor, Emperor Nero, offered assistance. The Church of Laodicea didn't take it, because they had enough cash to rebuild themselves. They refused the help. The city became rich through banking, but also two great industries which added to the wealth. The city became renowned in its textiles, finding a way to dye wool black, which was a big thing at the time. And it was also, because of its location to spa towns, became a centre for healthcare. It was a world renowned medical school. They developed an ice salve to help with people with ice problems. Being on a hill, it had no water. But being close to these spa towns, they had to pipe it in. Now, the Romans were masters of building aqueducts. That is one in France that's still there today. And they built an aqueduct to transfer the cold water from Colossae to, to the city, which had the desired effect of bringing clean water to the city. However, there was no way of cooling it down or keeping it cool. So the water was exposed to the sun and the beautiful, cold-watering colosse became tepid as it was heated by the sun. Now, a similar distance in Heropolis, I think, it was known for hot springs. A bit like our spa towns like Bath, Harrogate. So people would bathe in it And I think I'm right in saying you can still bathe in these springs. And it became a tourist base. But the water in Laodicea, it couldn't get the cold water, because it warmed up. Or the hot water, it cooled down. Wherever they got the water from, it was insipid, not nice to taste. It's helpful to have these images in mind when we look at the message to the church. God uses these characteristics to rebuke the church and a plea to make them change their ways. So we'll look at some of these elements, what they have for our faith. Now, the rebuke of the church, there's no messing about with it. It's quite stark. Everything they did to get their water was And the same was their faith. They had no passion. They were complacent and indifferent. Now the word for hot, which is used here, is zestos. It's a lovely word. Which is not part of a lemon, but it translates as boiling hot. What is more interesting in this point is it's the same root that we get the word zeal. Or zealous. So it's dedication or enthusiasm for something. If you have zeal, you're willing, engaged, motivated. Zeal is often used in meaning for devotion to God or a cause or a mission. And zeal crops up a lot in the New Testament. In Romans 10, Paul wrote, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for, to God is for them that they may be saved, for I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. The church of Laodicea was not pursuing God. They had become indifferent. They were not pursuing relationships. God's response is not the same. Instead of being indifferent to the church, he rejects their lukewarm he, he says... You are not hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. But you are warm. And I will spit you out of my mouth. Because I haven't thought about being spat out by God. It's a bit random. And I don't normally use the King James Version of the Bible. But I couldn't resist this. I will spew thee out of thy mouth. Just adds an extra element of flavor. Probably wrong choice of expression there. <laughs> no, we normally talk about God being kind and loving, which he is. Not as someone who would spew a person or church out. The Old Testament prophecies have a few examples where God turns against people and using similar kind of language. No. How many people have read Amos? Amos is a brilliant book. I love it, but it's very challenging. And um, in Amos, the prophecy says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Similar themes. So how do we stop being lukewarm? How do we present ourselves being at the spew of God's mouth? We're called to be zealously seeking god to pursuing him and his will we're called to be never lacking in zeal and keeping our spiritual fervor the antidote to being lukewarm without passion is to know god to seek him out in worship to have relationship with him direct to use the water analogy we are called to drink from his well like Jesus described to the Samaritan woman. Through relationship and spiritual practices, prayer, study, worship, we keep connected to him, and we have a zeal for our works, so our works don't become lukewarm. Now, unlike the church in Smyrna that we heard about last week, which was a church of poverty, the church of Laodicea was extremely wealthy. It had many te- the, the town had many temples and statues. It had a taste for the fine things that wealth could buy. This week I saw in the news... I didn't see this one. I thought this is brilliant. Someone paid over a million pounds for a Banksy works of art. Only for Banksy... To turn on a shredder and shred the work in the auction house. It was really bizarre. The person that bought it said it's probably worth more now. If banks had been around in 90 AD, the Laodiceans would have bought it. The art of the day was marble, and they bought tons of the stuff marble temples, marble statues. This was a flash church. If it had been around today, it would have the latest coffee machines, the greatest sound system, and the comfiest seats. (laughs) Yeah, comfy seats is something we don't have as a church. (laughs) But as I said earlier, the whole city was destroyed by an earthquake. The Roman emperor offered assistance to all the area. Other Other cities took him up on it. The the citizens declined. They rebuilt the city themselves without need of any help. Cash was not in short supply. So, going back to the text, it says, You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The church had become complacent and self-sufficient. They felt they had everything they needed, but still the rebuke comes. They thought they were materially rich, but in fact they were spiritually poor. In some ways it would be easier for the church of Smyrna to rely on God, because they had nothing. They had to rely on God, keep a focus on him, because their need was from the day to day. Now, there are numerous references to wealth in the Bible. Wealth is not necessarily inherently a bad thing. But the love of wealth and self-sufficiency brings a problem. Possibly one of the most misquoted phrases is, um, the love of money is the root of all things evil. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said that one cannot serve both God and money. Jesus putting this in the same part of the sermon, he talks about prayer, fasting. The most pertinent teaching on wealth and the direct parallel with the church of Laodicea is when Jesus met the rich young ruler in Mark. Jesus praised him, said he kept his commandments, The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus said to them, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. It's not that Jesus wanted the cash. It's just in living in true surrender to him. The rich young ruler had it all. He had property, he had wealth, but was not willing to give it up to pursue Jesus. The church in Laodicea was not truly following God because of their reliance of their own money. We live in a relatively affluent country, and in this comparison, we can have Self-sufficiency, because our needs are often not as acute as others. In spite of me feeling skint most of the time, I've come to the conclusion that compared to most in most of the seven billion people on this earth, I'm doing all right. If you woke up this morning having more health than illness, you are lucky. You're luckier than the million who will not survive this week. And even luckier because you have an NHS that guarantees healthcare. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, then you're ahead of 500 million in the world. You're here. You're attending a religious meeting. You're luckier than 3 billion people in the world. if you can read that list then you don't belong to the one billion people who cannot read we are called to be generous with what we have but also live a life that's constantly relying on God when life is going swimmingly and I have at least a fiver in my wallet I was still called to be relying on him just as when times are difficult and we cry out to God It's our whole life commitment. And God demands our lives, including our wallets. Now, with the wealth of success comes the trappings of wealth, the need to buy stuff to make our life easier. Our modern life can make us lazy and, in times, so comfortable. Today, I drove to church in a car with more gadgets. Than on the Apollo space in. I've got an air conditioner that keeps it just at the right temperature. And I can play music from my phone onto the stereo. Still don't understand how Bluetooth works, but in fact, it does. I can call anyone on, on this, I can gain pretty much any piece of information. And I can order a pizza while sat in the (laughs) bath. Don't picture that. (laughs) There are gadgets solving problems that I don't think we have. I'm sure gadgets are creating problems. What is that? (laughs) The looks I'm getting from the back are brilliant. (laughs) Anyone have a click? Cool, no. you're getting closer. Not an avocado. Yes, it's a banana slicer. Okay. No, so, so go back. That's the that's banana slicer. There's only one thing more pointless than this banana slicer. What is wrong with a knife? It is this, which is a different type of banana slicer. There are two different types of banana slicer in the world, and that was through 30 seconds of Googling random gadgets. (laughs) Google banana slicer. No, don't Google banana slicer. Um, Random gadgets. It's there. Who's having these problems with their bananas? But... You see, now I've shown you that there's a solution to all your banana needs. There are some people that want one now. <laughs> it's like, actually, I do have problems slicing bananas. But it just goes to show that there's, we're creating problems for ourselves that we can fix with random bits of plastic. Now, as you can tell, I am a fashion icon. The Laodiceans are not different. I can associate with the Laodiceans as most of my wardrobe is black. I've decided today to go for my full colour mode (laughs) with a grey hoodie and blue jeans. Laodiceans pioneered a method to dye wool black and it was revolutionary. They became the fashion centre as this black cloth was sent all around the Roman world. The materialistic culture of Laodicea is very in tune with today. I am what I buy. I have to have the latest fashions in clothes, in tech. If I have a deficiency, there's a piece of plastic that will help me. It all feeds into this attitude of self-reliance and reliance on stuff. If I have a problem... I'll buy something to fix it. Now Jesus teaches in Matthew, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the same phrase that he uses with the rich and ruler, tre- treasures in heaven. The Laodiceans were filling their houses with the treasures and finery, but their spiritual bank account was empty. Laodicea was also a location of the Roman pharmaceutical industry, developing a south which soothed issues. And people came from all over the empire to cure their eyesight. There's a school of thought which says that um, the Apostle Paul went to Laodicea because he had issues with his eyesight. Don't know how true that is, but if you had problems with your eyes, you didn't go to spectators, you went to Laodicea. If there's a problem to be solved, the Laodiceans could sell you something and you would look good while you did it. Spiritually, they've become blind to their plight. They thought they were doing well, but they're heading in the wrong direction. Now, when I first started looking at this, um, I thought I'd be the bearer of doom and gloom. I've been quite gloomy. God spewing a church is harsh. I'm not starting with praise. I was lucky enough to visit a church in Scotland and went on holiday, and by some miracle... The preacher was talking on this, which is brilliant. He went through all the woes of the church, the parallels to our society, and gave out warnings of materialism and not relying on God. So he got to about now in this talk. But that's where he stopped. The second part of this letter actually has hope. The solutions to the pitfalls and the attitudes that God is rebuking. God is saying he was rebuking the church because he loved the church. The Proverbs are full of wisdom on discipline, especially children. God extends an open invitation for the church to repent. Now, repent is a word used in church circles, but it means literally to turn around and go. In the other direction. And he uses the same language of his rebuke as an invitation to a better way, to restore the church's issues with wealth. He says, buy gold from me, refined by fire. To overcome their spiritual poverty, they must be first become as gold. They must be refined, endure the heat, to burn off, any impurities. To cover their spiritual nakedness, they must let go of their black cloth. And God will clothe them in robes of white. And to heal their spiritual blindness, they must come to him. The church, God is inviting the church of Laodicea to turn around 180 degrees and repent. He says... Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. Stand at the door. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down, with my father on his throne the invitation to God is open he's there waiting he wants us to have dinner with him he sees all our imperfections and he doesn't like it but what he does he says, he's calling us to turn away from them follow him have that deep relationship with him Now the whole of the series, we've been looking at these churches and we've been looking at them as a useful lens to see how we're doing, doing in our own spiritual life and the spiritual life of this church. We can use these churches to measure ourselves. In Some areas we're doing well and others need realigning and straightening out. All of this can make us feel overwhelmed that we're not good enough. But the reality is, no one can truly measure up to God's standards. Like the disciples, saying, who can measure to this? Jesus agrees with them, no one. But it doesn't matter, because we're called to follow him. God's not looking for perfection. What he's looking for is obedience. Obedience to follow him, to know him. The greatest thing about his grace is that he can use us now as we struggle on. For the church of Laodicea and others, God was waiting for them to call him. Calling away from self-sufficiency, from reliance of stuff. And to live in life in tune to his will. So if he can, let's stand.